Welcome to Rogue News. We are the preeminent geostrategic, geoeconomic, and geopolitical news show on YouTube and on the web. Join us for hard-hitting analysis, behind-the-scenes strategy, and brutal commentary. Find out why many consider us the place to get their news and information. Check us out at roguenews.com. Follow us on Twitter at Real Rogue News, Facebook, and most of the popular podcasting apps. Most of all, remember to subscribe, like, comment, and share. All right, good afternoon, everyone. It's CJ, and we are live. Welcome to another edition of Rogue News Interviews, and I'm very excited to have a returning guest. Everyone everyone knows the terrific writing that he does. It's Charles Hugh Smith. Uh, his website is of2minds.com. Uh, you know, wonderful writings. His articles have been picked up by almost every, you know, Zero Hedge. You can find his work, and just, again, just really thankful to be able to network with Charles uh, he brings so much to the table. So, Charles, how are you, sir? Great, and thank you for the invitation to join the program. Yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the interesting things, Charles, we were talking a little bit before we jumped on, is is talking about this this wonderful bull market, the the stock market that is is doing so great. You know, it's 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 you know, it's real earnings, it's real numbers. What are your thoughts? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, it's it's something that I will first readily confess that when the whole thing started in 2009 and then was running through the various like Greek crisis in 2010 and 11 and then China slowdown in 2014 and 15, I mean, I, I honestly thought that it would stumble well before a 10-year uh, marker. But um, the central banks have just... Uh, managed it extremely effectively by just flooding the market with with extra money um, whenever the, the stock market uh, has, has started to stumble. And so you got to hand it to them. They've managed it really well by playing a sort of tag team, right? So the Fed took, um, took the heavy lifting um, in the first couple of years, and then the uh, European Central Bank took on the heavy lifting, then Japan kicks in, and then the Chinese uh, Central Bank. So between those four They've, uh, I think they've basically created out of thin air about over $20 trillion, most of which has poured into assets. And that's why, you know, we've seen the uh, U.S. stock market, you know, more than triple, while so-called real world inflation has supposedly stayed muted because the money's not going into regular people's hands. It's going into financiers' hands. And they already have yachts and private jets and all that. So they just uh, buy assets. You know, that's what's so odd is that when you take a look at how well supposedly the economy, the stock market's doing, but then you take a look at some of the the trends, you take a look at some of the uh, the, the retailers that have cl closed the last couple of years. Uh, you take a look at the massive recent reporting in terms, terms of consumer debt. Uh, you take a look at the Fed and how now they're trying to you know, scale back a little as far as being so aggressive with, you know, raising rates and everything. Uh, it, Charles, it doesn't add up. It, it simply does not add up. And and the danger is, you know, that, you know, uh, candidate elect Trump at that time who would pretty much would call out, you know, Obama during those years with, you know, the economy and the rigged numbers and it's fake is that, you know, now as president, he has no choice but to champion <laughs> Uh, those same numbers, and we know why, uh, Charles. You know he can't add, he can't be out there and 
putting fear in the markets. You see what a simple tweet will do, right? It'll it'll send a stock in absolute disarray with one tweet. Imagine if he came out and was honest about something. <laughs> right, right. That's um, that's where we get the you know sort of media control and this sort of inquisition um, that's turned on anybody that questions the the status quo, which which is interesting because I was just reading. Uh, I'm reading a. Um, sort of a history, an economic history of why it's, uh, some nations uh, succeed and why some fail. And, and the um, author is describing how Spain, you know, at the height of its glory from all the, the gold and silver wealth that it uh, uh, acquired in, from its new world uh, conquests in the 15 and 1600s, they, they, um, they embraced the, uh, the Catholic Church's inquisition at that time, which basically shut down any dissent or any kind of new ideas, including scientific ideas. And so that's why Spain fell behind, even though they had the, the greatest amount of gold and silver, you know, the, the wealth was there. They didn't have the um, social and uh, scientific uh, foundation that, that you need for innovation. And of course, the key there is dissent. There has to be a variety of opinion. And if you squelch that or suppress that, and, and so there's no dissent allowed, you go downhill really fast. And that's where I, I feel like in some, some ways the United States is like that already. You know, I agree. And it's, and it's tough to understand in terms of, you know, Trump's trade policy and, and the tariffs. And it's, and it's not isolated. You know, it's, occur it's occurring, you know, globally now. And one, you know, there's different theories out there. Uh, there's, you know, the information out there saying, you know, regarding China and how they devalue their currency, you know, all the rhetoric that's been uh, passed around. And then you have the mainstream media chiming in right behind it and touting, you know, these great economic numbers, how everything's going so great. But in reality, we continue to see this massive debt bubble, this massive global debt bubble that cannot continue uh, Charles, what are your takes on on uh, Trump's tariffs? Do you think there's any any method to his madness? What what are your thoughts? Well, it's a great question, and I don't claim to have any uh, you know specific uh, solution. But I think what what we can do is start with um, going back to the original theory of why so-called free trade was a win-win situation, and it was by the economist Ricardo who talked about comparative advantage. In other words, his at that time when he was writing, um, then uh, Portugal made a lot of port and, and Madeira, you know, alcohol. And then, um, you know, Britain had a lot of uh, power looms and, and had a big uh, uh, industrial base in, in uh, cotton and, and so on. And so his idea was, well, we just trade our cotton goods for Madeira, and it's a win-win situation. You know, we each do what we do best. But that that kind of theory doesn't really apply to the, the United States and China, and in fact, it doesn't apply to to the, the whole Eastern export model, which was uh, started by Japan in the in the late '40s and early '50s, which was the government forges a policy that's that's extremely focused on optimizing exports at and they will sacrifice the rest of the economy to do that. And that's why Japan's um, domestic economy is still uh, crippled, if you will. You know, it's, it, it's, um, it's really inefficient and, right. um, and all of that. And, and, but that, that's the trade-off. The government said, let's optimize for exports. And so 
Um, so it's not really a comparative advantage when um, the entire national government of a country is aiming to make it um, uh, to support exports at any cost. And that, the Chinese have done the same thing because everyone looked at Japan's tremendous success. And so that's the same model that South Korea and China and everybody else uses. So the, the basic theory of why free trade works really breaks down. It's not really valid anymore. And so what what I see is happening is, is whether you agree with Trump's uh, policy or not, uh, it seems to me that we need to, that what's being attempted is to rebalance unfree trade, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, because we, basically the United States has had a policy of, oh yeah, if something's cheaper, then go ahead, we'll, Im we'll import it, you know? Right, right, right. And it's like, the only thing that matters is price. But you, what's happened is the U.S. has lost the whole supply chain. And so now, now that it's lost the whole supply chain, then people are going, are whining and saying, oh my God, it's going to cost us more money if we can't access all these parts that are made in China. And it's all like, well, that's, um, that's the cost of, of just looking at price only and not thinking about your national interest in the same way that East Asian countries do. That's, that's my kind of hit. So if you want to encourage a, the, a return of the supply chain or a diverse supply chain where at least some of it's uh, US based, then you're gonna have to, you're gonna have to basically um, create some pain. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's gonna sure. cost. Right, sure. Yeah. sure. And, yeah, so then what you're saying is, okay, how much is it gonna cost, 200 billion? Whatever the cost is, then the, the trade-off is you're relocalizing um, some industry and supply chains that will um, increase the value of your national economy going forward. So there's, in my mind, you could say, you could argue that it's pain right now, but the payoff is over the next decade or two. Well, and, and I think we will see that in inflation point hit, you know, there's so much concealed uh, with the inflation numbers. They want to tout that it's really not there. But if you ask your your middle income, your uh, family, you know, the, the struggles and taking a look at the rising uh, consumer debt, debt that's occurring and then the pricing index as well. Uh, I know that Trump's probably his 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 tax cuts probably uh, did help a little bit in terms of keeping the bubble going. Uh, but the majority of corporations, unfortunately, you know, utilizing those funds to do innovations, new solutions, uh, new factories, you know, for the most part, they did that. They used that, those funds for stock buybacks, uh, inflating their stock prices to keep the, the money funneling in. And we know that the income and wealth disparity in the United States over the past eight to 12 years, uh, Charles, has just been tremendously. I mean, it was it was bad during Obama, but I think in part, I think under Trump with these, let's face it, these tax cuts, they, they're what, 10 years out and, and they're only, the only ones that stay are for the corporations. Is that correct? Yeah. Or the super wealthy, uh, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One, yeah. one or the other or both. Yeah. No, it's, it's, um, you're, you're absolutely right. And, and let's, let's drill down into that a little bit. And, and so the theory behind tax cuts, right? The, one, the, the ones that politicians always say, and they always drag out a few economists to support the idea, is that if, um, if, if taxes are cut and interest rates are really low, then people are going to borrow money and, and they're going to invest more. They're going to take this, their tax savings and, and as, as you sort of suggested, invested in innovation and all this wonderful productivity. But that's not, that's not what's really happening in the real world. What's happening is 
the super wealthy borrow a ton of money at, at you know very low rates through corporate bond issues and so on and then they um, they take their tax savings and as you say buy back their stocks to enrich of the basically the top tier of the holders you know the the management mm -hmm. and a few hedge funders and so on so it's not going into the productive economy at all which is why the stock market's been going higher and higher for 10 years is all that money is pouring in uh, basically as a form of speculation. And uh, I just read recently, and, and, and just to th in case people are listening and going, wait a minute, what about the growth of profits? Well, we have to look at that too, because it turns out that the stock market has gone up something like 300%, but in terms of revenues, it's gone up about 30%. So what you're talking right. about is supposedly profits have soared tenfold above revenues. And then you look into, into those profits and then you discover that a lot of it is, as you say, based on buybacks, right? That you reduce the number of shares and your stagnant income is now divided amongst fewer shares. Oh, look at the, the earnings per share went up. And there's a lot of other gimmicks, um, off balance sheet debt and um, just tons of gimmicks to, to increase the, the uh the top line of right. your of your profit. G, so G, yeah, GE was a perfect example of that, right? GE, like how they, yeah. <laughs> I mean, GE fixed their books along. And are they even on like the Nasdaq or anything now? I don't even know where GE is. <laughs> yeah, they got kicked off the Dow. Yeah, Dow, that's right. Yeah, because they're just their performance. Well, let's help. You know, I I think I don't know what part or what portion the total dollar amount that Silicon Valley these tech stocks you know contribute. But let's hope that not all the CEOs of those tech companies do the same thing that Elon Musk is doing right now. <laughs> Gosh, yeah. Well, I think they've already done it to some degree. You know, I wanted to, I wanted to ask you an, an opinion. Um, one, of the th one of the things that, that um, some people say, and, there, and I think there could be some uh, validity to it, of why the U.S. market keeps going up is global money is is coming and and trying to buy assets that are denominated in dollars right because the dollar is rising and the emerging market currencies are getting killed and so it, it obviously makes perfect sense sell your uh, reals and make pesos and um and the currencies that are losing value and then just buy a u.s bond or a u.s stock because it's it's even if it doesn't go any higher as a stock or bond it's going higher just because the dollar is appreciating do you think there's anything to that? I think there's some validity to that. Yeah, abs absolutely. Uh, you know, in terms of the the amount, you know, obviously, you know, it's, it would be pretty much just a, a guess. Uh, but I think that some people are looking at it uh, for the for some reason as a, as a safe haven, as the dollar, not understanding some of the systematic things that have been in place. I think the emerging uh, markets are the ones that's really getting are getting hit significantly hard right now. Uh, but there's new systems in place to uh, to buy back the dollar now. You know, one asked regarding the bonds and the treasuries, and you know, I've been told that uh, China, in fact, is using U.S. dollars uh, to invest in other countries and doing some of these projects with the One Belt One Road, uh, potentially using U.S. treasuries instead of cashing them and using them, them as some form of, of value. So, uh, therefore, they're they're using you know those in part to help uh, prop up and do other projects and initiatives. So, I don't know whether that's true or not. Uh, but definitely in terms of the, the stock buybacks, you know, it's kind of interesting to see that whenever there is a, a major, you know, whenever Russia announces, hey, we're dumping all U.S. holdings and so forth, that we see those magically bought up somehow every time, Charles.
Right. Yeah, I wonder why. Um, yeah, and you know, we, I wanted to go back to a topic that you mentioned about inflation, and um, we all know it's real. And um, but uh, one of the things I think is interesting or worth discussing is how it's stratified. You know, and and that that's part of the the dynamic that's playing out in our in our entire economy is that the stratification is getting. Um, more extreme, you know, like the uh, the average CEO used to make, I don't know, whatever it was, 25 times the uh, the workers pay. And now it's, uh, you know, 117 or, you know, 117,000 or whatever. And, but it's also, there's a huge stratification in who's exposed to inflation. So like, if you have, if, if you're a student and, and you're, um, and you're, you're the parent and your child is having to borrow a ton of money to go to college, you're exposed to extreme inflation because you know what used to cost 20,000 now costs 120,000 in like a decade. And so that's why student loan debt is now approaching $1.5 trillion. That's, that's a lot of money that's being, um, and it's all inflation because you're not, the education is no better than it was 10 years ago and it's arguably worse. And yet the cost is double or triple. So that's right. that's classic, and then if you're in if you're exposed to healthcare, like if you're self-employed, like you and I are, then we either we pay full freight. We don't get any you know mm. subsidy from the government or from uh, an an employer, and so you know we're paying like you know fifteen hundred, two thousand, twenty five hundred, and we're seeing it go up by hundreds of dollars a month, you know you know every other year or so. So if you're exposed to inflation on the big ticket items, you're being crushed. But if you work for the government or you work for a big global corporation and they cover all of your health care and, uh, you know, then you're, you're not exposed to it. So it, we have this, you know, us and them kind of um, uh, culture now where it just depends on where you are in that stratification. Absolutely. And, you know, you've written some great articles as well, just tying into the fact that, you know, how often is, is gov does government play a huge role in determining determining what companies do succeed and which ones don't. Uh, you know, we see that in tax credits so many times. We see that uh, in the banks and their lending, determining, you know, where who, who gets the money, who gets the lending. And unfortunately, sometimes it's it's the government that decides and pick and chooses who the winners are in this this economy. And uh, healthcare is another great example of that, you know, with the, the rising, you know, not that, you know, against a huge subject, we probably spend a whole show discussing the healthcare in the United States. Uh, but overall, we're seeing, again, just the huge inflation that's occurred there and uh, in, in the student loans, uh, you know, the government backing, uh, backing the college education system. So therefore, the universities are just at will just, you know, jack up the prices. I mean, I, I was I have a nephew that's going to school and he was telling me what the price is of a, of a college credit hour. <laughs> and I couldn't believe it compared to what I went to school. It's like, what's so different now? <laughs> why, why, you know, besides their fancy buildings and, and uh, their, their deans making these one, you know, these million dollar salaries, what's different, Charles? Right, right. And um, we let's tie that into something you mentioned before, which is this, uh, the, the incredible rise in, in consumer debt, not just the federal deficit, but or corporate debt, but it's, it's, uh, you know, household debts gone up a lot, too. And so why are people having to borrow so much? And um, the obvious answer is their income isn't enough to uh, allow them to pay for everything uh, out of cash, right? Uh, but the other thing is when, when institutions and cartels like the healthcare system and the higher education system when when they can um be paid when they can be funded with debt it's just really easy 
for them. They're not, they have no competitive pressure to actually reduce prices mm -hmm. and, and, and Great innovate. Point. Great point. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And so Great that's, point. I think that's the sickness, if you will, the illness that the United States economy is in is everybody's decided, Hey, it's just really easy if we just go borrow another trillion bucks. And that's, that's why we have a federal deficit that in so-called great times, it's already exceeding a trillion dollars. Well, what happens when, it's, when we get a recession? Then it'll be two trillion. And you're talking, you're borrowing 10% of the whole GDP. <laughs> that's, right. that's insane. If, if anybody thinks that's sustainable, they're out of their minds. And so anyways, that's, that's been our solution is just lower interest rates and then just borrow, borrow, borrow. But as we all know, interest um, accumulates to debt. Even if it's very modest, eventually that'll start piling up and it'll take money away from um, money that could have been invested or spent wisely is now just, will just be going to pay interest. Yep, absolutely. And, and again, I don't, I, I don't want to turn this into a, a, a beat up Trump. I think he, he does obviously care for America. I think he's trying to figure out ways of, of uh, bringing this, uh, uh, bringing this sinking ship in, it's going to be very difficult to do. And you have a recent article up on your blog, and it's it's talking about the telltale signs of of imperial decline. Charles, why don't you walk us through that, please? Well, that's uh, thank you very much. It's one of my favorite topics I've written about um, this kind of dynamic because you know historians have studied this stuff, and there's a lot of um, we have very little records on on. Um, uh, empires such as the Incas, you know, because uh, the Spanish destroyed um, a lot of their uh, record keeping and, and people lost the ability. It was all, you know, knotted strings and stuff. And so we don't have a lot of history on some empires, but we do have a lot of records about the Roman Empire and the, the Byzantine Empire and so on. So we're able, you know, there's still more research to be done archaeologically and so on. And so we're still discovering um, facts, if you will, about the decline of, of Rome. And, um, and we have a lot of writings from the uh, people that were living through that decline. And so it turns out that it's not just economic. I mean, they, you know, if you destroy your currency or start shaving your coins or, you know, um, that kind of stuff, there's going to be an economic impact that undermines your economy, but it's also social. In other words, there's these social dynamics and, and this guy, um, Sir John Glubb, he's a great name, but, uh, and he wrote, a, yeah, a, a, uh, <laughs> he served overseas. He was a British citizen. And, and I think he wrote this in the uh, mid, mid, uh, 2000, uh, 1950s or something, but it was based on his experience as a, as a civil servant and, and as a, as a historian. And he, and he pointed out that when people start caring more about money than anything else, then things start going downhill. If when, when everybody's selfish and self-absorbed and, it, and when there's no willingness to sacrifice for the common good anymore. Um, and when elites uh, just become like parasitic, um, these are all signs of a decay of the social, uh, social cohesion or the social contract. And so when it's, when everybody's, you know, just trying to maximize their own gain at the expense of other people, then the, the, the society is rotting from within. And I think we definitely see that now. And it tends to be that it starts at the top, right? And everybody sees the, the elites at the top, just siphoning off as much wealth as they can. And then everyone goes, well, that's what it's going to be. So I better try to grab as much as I can.
And so there's no social, social contract breaks down, social cohesion's lost. And um, the, the society becomes a lot less resilient. So when there's crises, then it, it's, it just, it's uh, basically kicked off the cliff. You know, there's no resiliency left in, in the social structure. Yeah, right, right. No, and yeah, and that's very unfortunate. And we're, again, you know, watching a little bit of that, that unfold as, uh, you know, we're currently monitoring things. And, you know, for me right now, and something that I always try to encourage our, our listeners, our readers is to uh, pay attention, more attention to what's happening uh, with with their financial portfolio, what's happening with with their family and in their in their communities, and and I'm I'm going somewhere with this because uh, unfortunately with the political chaos, the political environment, which I'm I'm quickly quickly losing any type of of interest in, uh, j- you know, just because it's so much uh, so much rhetoric, uh, so much you know, so much fear mongering due to the to the media and everything else. Uh, you also wrote a great article just kind of detailing that out in terms of, of you know, social media's play into uh, to politics and, in fact, that if you're planning on surviving the next political <laughs> election you, for your mental health intact, you may want to turn off the news, Charles. Yeah, yeah, turn off the news and social media and then uh, turn it back on to watch football around Thanksgiving. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. Um, but, uh, yeah, just um, I in 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 uh, kind of to feed into our discussion here about about how finance really has just benefited the few at the top of the of the wealth power pyramid and uh, and it's not benefited the everyone the bottom 95 percent uh, there's an economist named adam Tooze t-o-o-z-e who just came out with a big 700 page book called crash i think oh, wow. crashing and so um and he basically lays out that the, the, the governments around the world, but especially uh, Britain and, and uh, the United States, they had allowed the, the private banking sector to just get completely out of control, right? That, 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 that Deutsche Bank was, uh, its balance sheet was larger than the, the, the GDPs of most economies. You know, I mean, these things, these um, entities had become not just rapacious and parasitic, but they'd become too big, right? And so mm-hmm. yep. that's so, the... So the governments responded in, in kind of like an ignorant panic and they just, you know, they created all this money and, and bailed all these big banks out, right? That was the whole story in about 2008 and that's what um, this book is about. And, and so you, it, the, the little excerpts I've read suggest that it wasn't like well-planned. In other words, they just, they just took all of our money, if you will, <laughs> you know, they, they, and, and they took, they, gave trillions in, in guarantees and supports and credit lines um, to save these uh, parasitic um, and and predatory uh, banks. And so we're still living with the consequences of that because we're still on the hook for that. And so the banks have supposedly recovered and everything's wonderful, but actually the, the imbalances in our economy have only gotten worse. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I'll have to, um, what, what was the name of the book? I guess it was Crash? I, I, I think it was called Crash. It has a long subtitle, like every book now, but I think that I think it's called Crash. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, this current state of the economy and where we are with everything, I, I'm not. There's times, and I can't remember who what, who was. I think it was maybe Dave over at X22 came up with this. Uh, this thought was that you know that maybe it, we're not supposed to be at this point. You know, maybe at this point, you know, with a different administration, 
maybe we would be seeing war in the Middle East, you know, Syria or Iran. Maybe there was something else planned uh, that they could, because you can imagine that when this house of cards comes down, Charles, they're going to have to quickly look for something to blame. They're going to be, they're going to need to pinpoint this on something to say, hey, look the other way. This wasn't the government's fault. This wasn't the central bank's fault. Uh, there was a war and that's why there's a decline in the economy. And and that's what kind of keeps me awake at night is that, you know, what's next? Um, you know, what, what, what are they planning? And with the massive amount of censoring and shutting down YouTube channels, shutting, you know, closing people off of Twitter, really trying very hard to control the narrative, the information. Uh, that's something to, something to keep our eye on. That's something to be alert about and to to pay attention what's what's happening, Charles. No, absolutely, CJ. I mean, it's sort of like we can ask, what are they so afraid of? You know, what are they so afraid that that people might find out? <laughs> because they're obviously extremely afraid. Um, otherwise, they wouldn't be pursuing this sort of inquisition of 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 dissent or even skeptical inquiry. So, yeah, very hard to plan around this kind of stuff. That's for sure. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Charles, uh, any closing thoughts? And then please also share uh, with our listeners how they can learn more about your work and then also your social handles, please. Yeah, feel free to visit me at ofTwoMinds.com. There's uh, samples of my free samples of my, of my latest book, uh, Money and Work Unchained, a bunch of uh, archives all, all for free. And um, there's links to my Facebook and, and uh, YouTube and Patreon page there on my, uh, on my site. Excellent. Very good. Charles, thank you so much for another great interview. Uh, we will see you back, I guess, uh, next month. But uh, thank you for, for your time today. Really appreciate it. Hey, it was my pleasure, CJ. Thank you so much. Okay. For our fans, thank you so much for tuning in. Please like, share, subscribe. Uh, make sure to go to roguenews.com. Uh, check us out as, uh, there as well. So thank you for tuning in. Uh, this is CJ and Charles, and we're over and out. Take care, everyone.